Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Amy Austin, News Editor, FT Advisor, and today I will be discussing 10 years of auto-enrolment with Tom Selby, Head of Retirement Policy at AJ Bell, and Kate Smith, Head of Pensions at Aegon. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us today. Hello. Hello. So, auto-enrolment has reached its 10-year anniversary this month. You know, time absolutely flies by when you're having fun and all that. And (laughs) overall, I think we can say that it has been quite a success. I mean, we now have like 10 million people added to workplace pensions, which is boosting like participations from around, I think it was like 55% in 2012 to like 88% in 2021. So, you know, it's clearly done something good. So, Kate, maybe we can start with you. What do you think we can kind of owe this success to? Well, I think um, we have to owe access to auto enrollment. I mean, it has absolutely been a flagship policy of the government, let alone the DWP. Um, because when we look back 10 years ago, not enough people were saving for their pension. It was seen as too difficult to do, very hard. And not many employers, well, fewer employers were offering pensions to all their workforce. It's quite a select group that actually got pension. Obviously, defined benefit was in decline, still in decline. Um, So I think something had to be done because we really, as a country, ran the risk of people approaching retirement with very little to live on apart from the state pension, which we know for most people is not going to be enough. So they needed to do something different to get more people involved and saving in their pensions and get employers to step up too. So auto-enrollment has made a massive difference. As you said, in 10 years, had over 10 million people auto-enrolled in. And that is, we have to remember, there were other people already in pensions. So we've probably got about 20 million people saving in the pension today, which is really good news. So that's the really good stuff. So on the whole, I would give it a pretty high mark, auto-enrollment. It's done pretty well. Done what you said it would do on the 10. Yeah. What about you, Tom? What, what do you kind of think? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. It is, it is important to, I think, you know, a 10 year anniversary is a good point in time, isn't it? To take a step back and and just think of where we were and where we've come to. And I, 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 I'm old enough now to remember when automatic enrollment was first being planned and introduced and there were genuine concerns of mass opt outs. There was, you know, auto enrollment was phased in on this really softly, softly basis because people were worried that enforcing people they nudging people to make contributions into a pension scheme would simply be too much for them and we might get on to you know the current context versus the context where it was where it was introduced so the fact that the vast i think it's i think opt-out rates kate will tell me if i'm wrong but are still around one in ten maybe slow slightly lower than one in ten um which i think is a is a huge success now that the next phase of all i think it's important to celebrate that but also important to acknowledge that that's not job done for the vast majority of people the the savings rates are still too low there's still more to do and there's clearly a a huge challenge in exactly when and how to do it in an an environment where people are struggling and are potentially going to struggle a bit more in the next couple of years as well yeah i think the kind of opt kind of you know opt out rather than opt in has definitely helped auto enrollment i mean i remember I must have been in my first job, I think, you know, like a, a weekend job or whatever when I uh, when auto enrollment came in. And I do remember, you know, being put into this pension and they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know, leave it, I guess. Yeah, like, tick <laughs> you know, because I was so confused about it. that I was just like, oh, yeah, OK, that's fine. You do that. Like, do what you have to do. Just thought of it as like a, a HR admin thing that they just, you know. So it obviously worked because it worked on me to not think, actually, I'm, I don't want to be in that. And, you know, I saw it come out with my paycheck and was like, oh, OK, that's not so much like 
whatever, you know, just thought it was part of the tax bit. Obviously, I understand it a lot more now. <laughs> um, but do you think kind of uh, maybe we start with you, Kate, that, you know, the opt out has helped? Oh, absolutely. And that's the power of inertia, isn't it? So it's all done for you. You don't have to make any active decisions. You join your work, your workplace, your new employer, provide you meet the criteria, which most people do. You immediately put into a pension, you pay a contribution, so does your employer. You've got the opt-out period where you can, this is about a month or so after you join, you can decide whether you want to stay or not. So you're told about that option. Um, most people like yourself to probably just say oh it's probably a good thing or or people just miss it they just don't think well you know i'm in work now so everything's happening as it should um so they don't opt out and if they do opt out they have to follow a process which is deliberately made a little bit more difficult you know because they your government does want people to think about it a little they can about what the consequences of opting out are um that we could perhaps explore that a bit more later um so very few people have opt out, opted out and the difference about opting out and just leaving your pension scheme is if you opt out within that one month period or so you get your money back and so there's no no record of you at insurance companies like or pension companies like Aegon you get your money back but what we do see is that um, people would still do stop pension contributions maybe a month or two later so that's called cessation rates and we are seeing those those are probably higher than one in ten to be fair so they've left a little bit of pension pot which of course they can go back to again or they can consolidate later down the line but um the opt-out period is not the end of the story by any means and tom maybe we can come to you on this one um do you reckon that you, we could say that auto enrollment may be like the most successful piece of pensions legislation or do you reckon it's got a fight with pension freedoms <laughs> <laughs> the most successful piece of pensions legislation I'm not, I'm not, is that is that a title that anything wants I don't know. um it has i think it, as as kate said earlier it has done what it initially set out to do um you know there are i i, I would argue there are you know, some of the processes that employers have to go through and the hoops they have to jump through are quite challenging there is complexity in there but then you know this is pensions legislation so there has to be complexity in there doesn't there um you know I think, I think the, the pension freedoms i think have been successful and i think the industry and advisors have done a good job in kind of making sure that those are successful of course we won't really know the impact of those reforms until a long way down the line because you've got a huge huge group of people who are going into drawdown who might have bought an annuity previously and it might take decades to know whether or not they've ended up with with good outcomes um as as a result of that but yeah i, th I think given where expectations were back at you know 12 12 14 years ago when this was all being conceived of and and designed i think i think i think if someone had told you in 2022 this is where it would be with the level of opt-outs that we've had with the number of people saving something in a pension scheme that, that they are at the moment I think most people would agree that 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 is a, a a good result, and I think I think also it it shows what what can be achieved if you've got genuine cross party policy where there's agreement on the end goal and agreement on how we want to achieve it. And you know, there's been there's been little moments for auto enrollment where it's been uncertain and there's been changes. You know, the introduction of the charge cap and things like that. But generally, as a policy idea, it's remained pretty much intact, and that's quite a a rare thing and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the pension commission managed to foster genuine consensus on the overall way forward sure and i mean there's still you know bits and bobs of research coming out saying that you know 
x percent of people if you said to them describe what enrollment to me wouldn't be able to like they have no idea what it is um which i find is just bonkers seeing as most of us probably have it on our payslip but do you think maybe the pension dashboard coming through might help more people understand what auto enrollment is you know once they go on and see that they've got i don't know free pots or whatever sat there and they think oh that's where they've come from maybe they'll be a bit more engaged i don't know what you think kate well, I don't, I don't know about auto-enrollment specifically. I think it will ultimately help people understand and, and connect with their pensions or find them because obviously the pension dashboard will let you see all your pensions online in one place um, at the same time. So that's all good. But just seeing the data is one part of the story, isn't it? You need to know what to do with it next. And that's the big gaps. And that's that would be the next part of the dashboard journey, I think. But also, I would expect providers would sort of provide tools around dashboards, the customer journey to try to engage customers with um, what they will see on the dashboards, including pointing them to advisors. Advisors have got a big role here, potentially, you know, um, so they can certainly help out, you know, just like providers can. So that's that's good. But I don't think we're going to see that immediately. What I am hoping that we'll see is more people will go online, um, go to the dashboard, then go perhaps go to Aegon and have a look to see what's going on with their own pension and think, oh, well, now I know that I've got a number of questions to ask and, and where do I go and find those answers from? So we need to provide all of that, you know. So there's a lot more work to be done. But remember, yeah. the pension dashboard is going to be a huge project. So you can't deliver everything from day one. It's got to be phased in. It's just like auto-enrollment in that way. You know, softly, softly. Um, <laughs> Yeah. We'll be doing a podcast in that in 10 years. I'm not entirely surprised that people don't know what auto-enrollment is. That's, uh, I, mean, I, think, I think sometimes it's, it's easy for, to forget that even terms like that, which we're all incredibly familiar with, are jargon. Mm. And frankly, it doesn't really matter whether someone knows what auto-enrollment is or not. I think my, 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 my major concern is more that people don't understand what their pension is or how how it's invested we need to get down to real basic concepts like that before we started recording i was we were, we were talking about um uh some radio phone-ins that i'd taken part in and kate's taken part in with members of the public and people genuinely you know at the moment we've clearly got as we're as we're recording this huge uncertainty going on with guilt markets and people are seeing lots of negative headlines about pensions and the people I'm hearing on phone-ins and speaking to on phone-ins think that that's, you know, you've got people in their 20s, 30s, 40s who are saved in a defined contribution scheme who are worried about the safety of their pension. Um, and that's fundamentally a problem with understanding. So I think I, 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 it doesn't surprise me that people don't know what auto-enrolment is, but I think that's less of an issue than getting people really familiar with some of the, the concepts of saving and investing for the long term and taking risk and things like that. And that's, there's various things I think that government and regulators can do to, to improve that because it, it, it has to improve. I think pensions dashboards can be a really good thing and can act as a bit of a catalyst for that, but there's there's more I think that needs to be done there. Yeah, I mean, nothing is perfect in mm. this world. So with auto moment, what, you know, what do we need to see? Do we need these reforms, you know, lowering the age, more contributions, all of that coming through and kind of when do we need to see it by, you know, does it have to happen sooner rather than later? 
Shall I just I'll take that? So um, here at Aegon, we did a little bit of research on this, basically worked with the University of Edinburgh to look to see whether um, water involvement has helped or hindered saving psychology. And um, we can see it very much it is a double-edged sword because as we've already explained, you know, more people are saving, that's great. They're not saving enough, that's not good. And they're certainly not engaged. So we need to do two things. We need to move from um, involvement into engagement. So look to see what we need to do there, but also, definitely widen the scope of auto environment because currently we've got about 10 million people in the workplace excluded and all the self-employment are excluded so generally you know too many people are excluded, excluded because they're too young they're too old they don't earn enough in one job or they're self-employed so we've really got to do something about that so that just implementing the 2017 reforms would go quite a long way to um, plug those gaps not all the way but then we need to think longer term about plugging those gaps and and should auto enrollment contributions actually go up and i'm talking about next decade rather than now um, but we need to start thinking now and how you would do it get the consensus think about the phasing of the contributions um, getting the employers to pay more i mean we're one of the few countries where the individual the employee pays less than the employer you know, look at Australia, it's definitely the other way around. So we need to rethink about that and probably rebalance so it's more even. And we also need to think about low earners because if you put contributions up, well, if we put the contributions up too high and we're saying, well, you've got to pay 6% to get your employer 6%. If you don't pay that or you pay decide to opt down, you're getting diddly squat for your employer. We can't do that. You know, we looked at the crisis we're in now, look at what we've had in the pandemic, look at the financial crisis, you know, only 10 years ago or so, 15 years ago. We know that we need to build resilience for lower earners. So we need to think about more flexibility within auto enrollment. Could be quite limited, but we need to open that door for the conversations. Yeah, definitely. What And what about you, Tom? Yeah, 2017 was quite a long time ago now, wasn't it? The 2017 automatic enrollment review. And, uh, and uh, I know Kate, Kate and I certainly will remember when, when those recommendations were, were made, they were uh if, if anything they were kind of on the the risk the, the risk averse side they were pretty they were very sensible recommendations but they it wasn't uh you know they were the, the that review wasn't trying to fundamentally change the scope of auto enrollment it wasn't pro proposing huge increases in contributions but roll forward five years and things are more more difficult and i and i agree with what kate's saying there that you you've got to be increasing contributions at some point in time is going to need to happen so at the moment we've got minimum contributions at eight percent of band earnings which actually is actually a lot less than eight percent which is something that few people really understand and for the majority of people for low earners that might be okay for people who are low earners and starting um starting very young young that might end up with an okay size pension pop for, but for the vast majority of people it's not going to deliver the retirement outcome that they're hoping for so i think there does need to be a discussion now about how to increase contributions i think we need to be very careful about how we do that the danger clearly is that if you try to do that all very quickly at a point in time when inflation is going through the roof at the point in time where lots of people are going to see literally hundreds of pounds a month added to their mortgage costs if you tell them they've got to pay an extra even one percentage point into their pension that might be enough to break what isn't just a political consensus, but a consensus, I think, in people around the country that saving for retirement is a good thing. So I think it's it's important to get the planning in place now, but we have to be really careful not to push people too far too quickly. Um, and I think another part of this as well is going to be that I suspect either this government or the next government will have to 
start to deal with the issue of shorter term financial resilience as well. And so you're potentially going to be having if we if we try to use an auto enrollment type framework to try and encourage people to save a bit more in cash, you've then got potentially an extra call on people's salary as a result of automatic enrollment contributions going up. And you've got an extra call on people's salary as a result of trying to get them to save in cash. And at a time when, you know, their mortgage costs will be higher than they thought it would be inflation. The problem with inflation is it doesn't just come and then go. It stays. So people's living costs are going to be higher for longer. So it's it's a really difficult time to be doing a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think Kate is right. We need to get the planning in place now. But they need, there needs to be a genuine, honest, balanced conversation about exactly what people can cope with and we need a proper evidence base for all of that as well to make sure that things aren't imposed on people that are going to lead to them as Kate said opting out all together or just struggling to make ends meet. Yeah I'd just like to expand on something that Tom said there because I'm a big fan of um, wider savings so it's not it isn't all about pensions these days and the world of work has changed so much since sort of one was first thought of you know back in 20, 2006 or whenever it was so it's really important that um, we do build financial resilience in this country so when we start, start thinking about increasing contributions some of those contributions probably or could be diverted into some sort of cash ISA or stocks and shares ISA you know whatever's appropriate um, before going into a pension so when the first increases go up perhaps they go into there but it's done for the workplace and I think the employer may be even allowed to put into those, but not at the moment. So we need to think actually differently. We really do. Um, the world has changed so much. But one thing we do know is that too few people are not financially resilient and we need to help them as much as we can, give them the tools. Sure. And what about, you know, the self-employed? Do you think we ever will see auto enrollment for the self-employed? Like, can it actually be done? Well, it's probably not auto enrollment, but something similar. And I know, you know, projects have been going on for quite a few years and pilots and everything using um, HMNC and tax, is it tax made digital or digital tax? Sorry, I've forgotten what it's called. So there are trials going on at the moment to see whether that can happen and nudges towards um, pension wise, money helper, etc. So it could, I think we'll see more. Tom, I don't know if you want to expand on this, but I do think it's self-employed is very different because they're a very diverse group and yes. they've got very irregular income, haven't they? So why yes. do they want to tie it all up immediately? You know. Yeah, it it, it definitely so it definitely needs to be in addressed. So the say say you know, pension yeah. saving rates amongst the self-employed are really really low, and there'll be various different reasons for that. But that is that is a fact. The idea of Use it. So there, are, there have been ideas out there about using the, the national insurance system to, to act as a kind of matched contribution for self-employed people. So e well, that would either involve the government spending a lot of money to encourage the self-employed to save, or it would involve essentially hiking taxes on the self-employed. I suspect neither of those are particularly um, appealing options to the government at this at this point in time, um, I think there are there are things that could be done around the edges to help self-employed people. So I think the the lifetime ISA has the potential to be a really useful retirement savings vehicle for self-employed people. It's got the bonus and it's got and um, the uh, and it's got tax-free investment growth and you can access the money as well. But the the size of the exit charge when you access your money is too high at the moment. Um, the the age bands are a bit of a barrier as well. So the fact that you've got to be between ages of eighteen and thirty-nine to 
to to have a lifetime license. Lots of self-employed people, unfortunately, are outside the scope of that. Um, the exit penalty means that you might get back less than you put in as well. So it's not entirely flexible. I don't think that aids communication of, of the lifetime ISA to, to self-employed people. Um, it's it's another one that is incredibly difficult. I think it's probably realistically in the too difficult to do pile at the moment, given what we're seeing in the world. But as with scaling up auto enrollment um, and and you know, increasing people's contributions and deciding how we're going to do that, I think the self-employed need to be part of that conversation as well. And as you know, go the government hopefully will be thinking beyond you know the front of its nose. It might be quite difficult at the moment, but we do need to start planning and coming with up with a consensus as to how to to deal with these, some of these problems. Because because if we don't, then the self-employed and other people as well, there'll be groups of society who are just left entirely unpensioned, who in 20, 30, 40 years time are going to be in in real financial difficulty and ultimately at risk of falling back on the state, which is isn't what anyone wants. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky, a tricky one to work out as, <laughs> as is everything really. Well, Tom, Kate, thank you so much for joining us this week. Tune in next week where we will discuss other goings on in the industry. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.